Praise the Lord. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we ought to rejoice and be glad in Him. This is the Lord's day that we get to worship Him, glorify Him, remember Him. It is good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Well, Time to hear from heaven, church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. We read verses 1 through 30. Matthew 26 verses 1 through 30. For those of you who are with us for the first or second time, we say thank you for being with us on this Lord's Day. You had many options, but God providentially led you here to the Bridge Church, and so we don't take that for granted. And so from the bottom of our hearts, on behalf of our elder staff members and all of those who make up the body of the Bridge Church, we say thank you for being with us on this Lord's Day. For those of you who are sharing with us via the world, wide, wide or, you know, the internet. <laughs> oh man, thank you for being with us. We know you had numerous options as well. So, so good to have you with us on this Lord's Day. So good to see many of you back again. I just saw you last week, but it seems like it's been an eternity. So I'm glad to see y'all once again on this Lord's Day. Matthew chapter number 26, beginning with verse number one, as is our custom, let's stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse number one. And yes, we'll read down to verse number 30. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, he plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, 
What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us to prepare, have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. As they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you and my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, the word of the Lord. Hey, thank you, Lord. We've taken a break from the book of Matthew, and now we return to finish this as we embark upon this Easter season. By way of reminder, Matthew is a book written to a primarily Jewish audience to let them know, to remind them, to inform them that Jesus is indeed the promised son of David. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is the rightful king to the throne. The, the long-awaited king has arrived. And Matthew up to this point has been, been showing his readers and us that there are two responses to this Messiah king. You can either receive him as king 
and bow to in, in submission to him by faith, or you can reject him like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. Jesus has told on a few occasions that he would die, that his crucifixion was impending. And so now Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 26 with a final announcement that his time to die is at hand. He starts here in Matthew chapter 26 by reminding them, he says, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This 26th chapter is all about making preparations for the death of Jesus Christ. Three things I want us to remember as we leave here this morning. First of all, I want us to see in this 26th chapter of Matthew a plan to remember. A plan to remember. Jesus says, Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. That's one plan, but then there's another plan at play. There's a plot, according to verses, verse number three that the chief priests and the elders of the people have gathered in the palace of the high priest and they are plotting together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth. That word stealth means deceit, cunning. They want to kill him. The rulers are plotting how they can arrest and kill Jesus and they agree that they won't kill him during the Passover. Yet, beloved, that is when Jesus will die. Jesus predicts his own crucifixion and his prediction, beloved, signifies that he's still in control. We see two plans at work. God's plan and man's plan. God's plan from eternity past has always been that his son would go to die for the sins of the world. These chief elders and priests, they have their own plan, a plot to kill Jesus. And they're going to have to do it by deception because he is an innocent man. Beloved, he is the one that knew no sin. He, he, he is sinless, but yet he is going to die for sinners. Two plans at play, but one plan will reign supreme, and that's God's plan. This plan is a plan to remember because what we learn is that the Jewish plotting by the rulers is a part of God's divine plan. What we see in this plan to remember is this simple truth, beloved, God is in control. 
You missed a good spot to say amen or something because we need this word in, a t in times like these. We need to remember that God is in control and evil is not in control. We need to be reminded that in the end, evil will not win. The good news, beloved, of God's sovereignty is that no purpose of God can be thwarted and his plans cannot be frustrated. Beloved, with so much going on in our world, what we need to remember is that God is in control. Even in the midst of a two-year pandemic, God has proven himself to be sovereign. Oh, how I heard of recently of how God used the pandemic to sanctify some folks. God is in control. God, God used the pandemic to purge some fake people out the church. Yes, he did. God, God is still in control. There's war in the world. We heard Paige pray about it. And, 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 and some of us are legitimately concerned, worried, and fearful that we are on the precipice of another world war. But God told me to tell his people that Matthew 26 is a reminder that he is in control. He sent me by the bridge church this morning to let you know that Putin is nothing but a puppet in God's plan for history. God is in control. Because God is sovereign, somebody in here needs to know that even Putin don't have to bow to knee. Somebody here needs to know that because God is sovereign, the pandemic don't have to bow the knee. Somebody here needs to know because God is sovereign, even the demons in hell are going to declare that he is Lord. They're going to have to bow the knee because God is sovereign. There are two plans. There are two plans at play. If Joseph were here, he would tell you that there will be two plans at play. My brothers may sell me into prison, but what they meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what God's sovereignty is to remind us in the midst of all this evil, God can still turn it for the good of his people. God, God, God is sovereign. We need to remember that because in the midst of suffering, we need to remember God is sovereign. In the midst of heartache and pain, we need to remember God's sovereignty. In the midst of disease, death, disappointment, and discouragement, we need to hear that God is sovereign. He's in control, church. So rest in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty, he is in control. There's a plan to remember here in verses 1 through 5. But not only is there a plan to remember, but in the next section, we see a sacrifice to remember. A sacrifice to remember. Verse 6 begins a new section. It tells the story of an unnamed woman who came up to Christ with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. The text says that she poured it on his head 
as he reclined at table. It was custom, church, to anoint a special guest, an honored guest like a rabbi with ointment. What was probably not custom was what this woman used. She uses an expensive ointment that's housed in an alabaster flask. What you have to understand is that an alabaster flask was itself made of a soft stone that looked like marble. It was imported from Egypt. So before we even get to the ointment, the container that the ointment was housed in was expensive itself. But in this expensive container was some expensive perfume. It's said that this perfume by itself was worth 300 denarii, which was, which was the equivalent of a year's salary. Now, you would think that someone with this kind of commodity would just take it and douse it on somebody. A whole year's worth of salary? Mm -mm -mm. Here you go. But no, this woman takes this costly perfume and just douses it on Jesus. Jesus is drenched in this costly perfume. Matter of fact, the text says she started with his head, but by the time Jesus starts talking about this woman, he says she's anointed my whole body. So she uses this expensive, costly perfume, and now... Look at how the men respond. Verse 8. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. The woman said, I'm going to give my all to Jesus. The men said, let's be pragmatic and practical here. Let's be functional. Let's, let's think about this functionally. They are angry. Because of this woman's extravagance. Been there, done that. <laughs> they, they are thinking <laughs> of how much money they could have made, watch this, watch this, to do ministry with. And Jesus says to them in verse 10, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me, a good work. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In other words, Jesus reminds his disciples, I just told y'all that Passover is coming and that I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. My death is imminent. There will be plenty of opportunities to care for the poor. But you only have a handful of opportunities to care for me. Jesus now goes on to explain the significance of this woman's action in verse 12. He, he says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whatever this, wherever this gospel is proclaiming the whole world, what she has done would also be told of her. 
For Jewish burial saints, it was customary to spread aromatic oil over the body to hide the smell of the dead because Jews did not embalm corpses. However, criminals were not honored with a proper burial. The anointing of their bodies was omitted as a part of their punishment. So in anointing Jesus, this woman, because Jesus is going to die the death of a criminal, this woman has done something for him that otherwise would not have been done. She has indeed prepared his body for burial. And because of what she's done, Jesus says, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This woman made a sacrifice to remember. He, Jesus says, this gospel, is wherever it's told, it's going to be told in memory of her. Her sacrifice, church, was a sacrifice of love and devotion. Her sacrifice demonstrated the value and worth of Christ to her. For this woman, Jesus was worth more than any earthly good. Jesus was worth more than any creaturely comfort for this woman. This woman says, no, nothing will I withhold from my Lord. Beloved, my question for us this morning is, how much do you value Jesus? Let, 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 let's see if I can make this real for some of you. What are you willing, are you willing to sacrifice a year's salary for Jesus? Oh, there we go. There we go. Do you value Jesus above anything this world has to offer? Jesus said it this way. Some scholars uh, uh, think that this could have been a family heirloom, this, this perfume that was put on Jesus. We don't know for sure. But if in case it was, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and 39 frame this idea of discipleship for us. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 37. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Beloved, following Christ is all about valuing him above all. Following Christ is about cherishing him so much that we commit our lives as a living sacrifice. We, to, to follow Christ is to give up comfort and convenience to follow him. You withhold nothing from him. Your life belongs to him. Beloved, the sacrifices we make for Christ and his kingdom reveal how much we value his death on our behalf. The sacrifices we make for Christ and his kingdom reveal how much we value his death. 
on our behalf. And let me, let me, here that's why I think this is, exposes our values. One of the greatest commodity, commodities that we hoard is our time. And I believe that the hoarding of our time exposes our lack of sacrifice. The hoarding of our time is a devaluing of the death of Christ on our behalf. We devalue the sacrifice of Christ's death when we are selfish. And because we hoard our time, we have no place, room, margin to serve the body of Christ. Okay, let me give that to you again. Because I'm trying to get some more servants here in the body of Christ. Because we hoard our time, we have no place, no room for serving the body of Christ. And some of us, the call from this woman's story is we need to begin to sacrifice our time. And some of that means that we may have to give up something, sacrifice, in order to vote more time to the cause of Christ. You you may have to learn to say no to good things in order for you to be devoted to the best thing. Listen, I love my children. I love my children, but there are sometimes we have not gotten to a point to where we have learned to say no. Because it's going to take too much of our time. We, we are blessed to, to have two children who, who are athletically gifted, and we get calls. Uh, and I'm not bragging here. We get calls, but I'm, I guess I am. But I'm going to tell you, we get calls saying, can they come play with this team? Can they come play in this tournament? Can they come do this? And we come, come and do it. No. I got small group on Wednesday. I got uh, Connie's got rehearsal on Thursday. I got elder meeting on Monday. I don't have time because Christ comes first. I, I want to get Lily in some gymnastics. Yeah, don't you? She bounce around all the house. She jump off. She jump on the back to the top of the couch, the back of the couch, and jumps all the way down. She do it all the. She gets in her bed and then she just jumping off. She needs some gymnastics. She really does. But I have to think about this good thing could take me away from serving the body. Now, if y'all want to volunteer to take her to gymnastics, we'll take you up on that. Woo, I felt that in my spirit. <laughs> this, this woman is marked by generosity. Can I just put a parenthesis right here? I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm thankful for this woman. I'm thankful for the woman. The men, they were thinking practically, but but the woman said, I'm going to love on Jesus right now. I'm thankful for the women of the bridge. Lord, if the women of the bridge were not here, I don't know if this church would exist. I clap. Y'all ain't got to. I'm thankful for the women of the bridge. I'm thankful for the women that have sustained the church when the men were too busy being trifling. 
and not stepping up to the place of leadership, but the women had to fill the void. And I'm thankful. And so now, we see this woman is marked by generosity. Now she, she, she makes a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to remember. But we also, but what we see here, we see generosity on one hand, but in the, the, in the text, we also see greed. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. Judas, look at verse 14. He goes to one of the chief priests and asks, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? This woman says, what can I give to Jesus? Judas says, what can you give to me? He acts in self-interest. And beloved, what's sad is this is natural to us. It is natural for us to seek our own self-interest. What is unnatural is to be others interested. And so what we need to be is supernatural, to be others interested. It is natural for us to seek our well-being at the expense of the well-being of others. Wait, just wait. Watch this, watch this. <laughs> I've been getting in so much trouble, I might as well. Watch, watch, watch how Christians talk when 2024 come around. Is that the next presidential election? Watch how we talk. Self-interest. That's how we start the conversation. Self-interest. I'm just giving you an example. This is where it comes out, really. But we daily. That's what's natural to us. But for us, people who, who have been infected with the supernatural, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, we ought to be thinking about others. Beloved, we must remember when, when, when we are focused on the self, we must remember that Christ says, if you're going to follow me, you have to actually deny yourself. And now we live in this age of self-fulfillment. Just for this woman, oh, let's look at Judas. Judas, for Judas, Jesus is worth no more than 30 pieces of silver. The equivalent of a month's salary. This woman sacrificed what equals to a year's salary. Judas says, I'll sell him out for two paychecks if you get paid bi-weekly. Both will be remembered for what they've done to Christ, the woman for her sacrifice, but Judas for his betrayal. My question to you this morning, church, is how do you want to be remembered? No, 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 not how do you want to be remembered, how will you be remembered? What, what will be your spiritual legacy? Will it be that you sold out for Christ or that you sold Christ out? Will it be said that you, you loved Christ and you were and you devoted your life to Christ? Or will it be that he or she did what was best for them? 
Let our lives be a sacrifice to remember. Let's get out of here in about 15 minutes. We see a plan to remember. We see a sacrifice to remember. But then Jesus, beginning in verse 26, he's eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And Jesus says, or Jesus makes this meal a meal to remember. Have you ever had one of those? Yes, I know you're right. They're eating bread and drinking wine. And Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to the disciples and says, take, eat. This is my body. This, this bread represents and symbolizes his body, which will be broken for them and for everyone who believes on him. So this is my body. His body would endure torture on their behalf. His body would be whipped with a cat, a nine ties, uh, uh, tails tipped with metal or bars. So that there would be flesh taken out of his body as he is whipped. His body would be spit. On. His, 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 his body would endure a sword being thrust in his side. His hands and his feet would be nailed to a cross. His body would be broken. Why? Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. So now they ought to remember his sacrifice for them through the eating of this bread. Then in verse 27, after the bread, he takes the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus now gives new meaning to this cup of wine. He says it represents the blood of the covenant. That's actually language from Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. When Jesus is, he, uh, uh, Moses is at uh, Mount Sinai and the congregation there is gathered. And the text in Exodus 24 says that they read, he reads to them, Moses reads to them from the book of the covenant. And then Moses takes blood from an oxen and then he throws it on the people and says, here it is, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And according with all these words, when Moses throws the blood of them and, and he says, behold the blood of the covenant, this is now the formalization of the old covenant. God was now bound to his people and his people were now bound to him. And God promised them through this covenant that he would be their God and, they, and then they promised that they would be loyal and, diso and loyal and obedient to him. So now Jesus takes this language, gives it to his disciples and says his death will now inaugurate a New covenant. 
And that new covenant will be marked by forgiveness of sin. Beloved, this is language coming straight from the Old Testament again. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Here's how it reads. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I rem remember their sin no more. And Jesus says now that when he dies upon the cross, when his blood is shed, he will inaugurate the new covenant when our sins will be forgiven and God will remember their sin no more. Beloved, when we partake of the cup, we remember that God remembers our sins no more. Beloved, when we partake of the cup, we remember that our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. When we partake of the cup, we declare that we are forgiven. When we partake of the the cup, we declare that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I found my exit. I'm on my way out. The cup reminds us that guilty sinners have now been pardoned. We, when we partake of the cup, we remind ourselves that we are covered by the blood. When we partake of the cup, our shame is covered by the blood. Our guilt is covered by the blood. Our sin is covered by the blood. I heard somebody say, what can wash away my sin? Somebody said, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood. Hey, that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what I get excited about. Every time I take that cup, I'm reminded that he's washed my sins away and I've been made white as snow and I am now covered by the blood. I just need two or three forgiven folks to stand up on their feet and give God glory and honor because they are forgiven. Hey, nothing, nothing but the blood. But Jesus teaches us, sit down, I'm sorry, sit down real quick. Jesus teaches us that, that this, 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 this meal to remember is not something we just look back to 
but it's something we look forward to as well. Look, verse 29, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. I will not drink this wine with you until I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus says a day, there's a day coming when we will sup with Christ again. There's a day coming when he will drink new wine in his father's kingdom. And watch this, he says, I will, he says he will drink it with us. We, we, there's a day coming where we will be reunited with our Savior. We will be like him. He, we will be with him and he will be with us. And look where we're going to be in his father's kingdom. Beloved, when we partake of this wonderful meal, this meal to remember, we remember that we have a blessed future. We look forward to a day when we will sup with our King and Savior again. It's a meal to remember. Let's, let's share now together in the Lord's table.